0: welcome to this week's uh, VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour. This week we are going beyond Star Trek in what I believe is the 13th of the Star Trek films and I'm joined by two... uh, Well, now, see, I'm going to say your fans, but Matt Wallen, are you actually a Trek fan or is this like a Star Wars thing? I noticed your icon today is an Imperial Stormtrooper helmet. Uh,
1: Well, I mean, I'd say I'm... uh outer space agnostic in that regard i i I like i like both
0: (laughs) and uh and joining uh in the third uh, chair is jason diamond how are you sir
1: i'm good and
2: i think i'm also outer space agnostic although i'm uh if i had to choose i would be a star wars fan but i enjoyed every and all star trek movies uh you know, in TV shows. Do you not feel like occasionally
0: we move back and forth between the two? Like uh, I would say right now that, uh, you know, there's some really good wind um, against the wind, uh, against the back of some of the Star Wars stuff. I mean, going into this current round. But there there were times when our faith was tested uh, in the force. Um, <laughs> but sure, yeah.
1: true, yeah.
0: I asked uh, partly because uh, Matt is famous for engaging me over um, – the Dark Knight, and I think you made some snide comment about The Dark Knight in regards to this. So um, obviously an ill formed opinion, uh, as yours often are in regards to anything to do with The Dark Knight, Matt. A wise man in all other respects, but in this one not. I, I want to start off the show, by, before we get into anything else, by yeah, yeah. publicly apologizing to not actually uh, hanging out with you guys in LA or in um, at uh, Sidgraf. This was absolutely nothing to do with anything other than the sheer busyness that I certainly experienced at uh, Sidgraf this year but I felt appalled that I hadn't hung with you guys
1: yeah well I mean not to worry I mean in that I I figured as much but also too it was extremely busy I had I think about a dozen students who were there as student volunteers from uh, Virginia Commonwealth University where I teach and and uh, but I saw I mean I saw everybody else the only people I didn't see was I didn't see you uh, or Jeff but (laughs) I saw uh, John and I saw uh let's see, I saw Ian. I ran into Ian somehow like I don't know, it seemed like almost fifty different times and I finally got to meet Nick uh Lambert in person, which was really awesome. He's really I saw cool. that picture, yeah. So <laughs> yes. so
0: that's all good. And uh and also I was in uh, New
2: York, so I wouldn't have hung out with you guys anyway, but sure. But
0: you've also been hanging out with very uh clever looking cameras lately, I've also noticed on your your feeds. But um uh,
2: yes. I bought a. my brother and I bought a helium Mm. A stormtrooper helium to go back to our, Star which is Trek exactly Star where Wars. I was going with that. Yes, the yeah. <laughs> uh, the
0: stormtrooper of cameras. The uh, is that white eight K,
2: the eight K, eight K super thirty five. Yeah,
0: wow, right. Cool. Well, today we're discussing a film that was not shot in eight um, <laughs> K, which uh, is to say it was shot in uh, Arri Raw in three point four K, primarily on the Alexa, um, but it was a digital film, and I think one of the first digital. I don't think many Trek films have actually been shot digitally. Um, I could be wrong about that, but. Um, Certainly, uh, there's a trend amongst films like Star Wars and stuff to shoot film and um, a bit of a nostalgia. But this isn't the case with uh, with Star Trek Beyond. So, before we get into the visual effects, let's discuss what we thought of the film. And because I've raised this whole issue of cameras and stuff, how do you think this uh, sort of new Star Trek Beyond looked, Jason?
2: Uh, I thought it looked really good. Actually, I didn't even I didn't even think about uh, whether it was film or digital. Uh I, I guess if I really thought about it, I would have picked digital only because JJ Abrams wasn't involved uh in the in the director's chair this time and he's a film guy. But uh I thought it looked it looked great. I mean it had, you know, your your classic uh big budget movie look.
0: But I guess the reason that I sort of uh hit this is because if we were talking about a couple of Treks ago, it was uh star sorry, um lens flare central and matt It yeah, was yeah. very distinctive what was going on in terms of the cinematography it was really um you know like a character in the film whereas in this one it felt like a very straight what i'm going to call uh polished hollywood uh presentation which i don't think is is wrong for the story i don't think it's inappropriate but it was not in any sense to me a character in the film the way we've seen in some other films
1: yeah i would agree i mean i think uh c- cinematography wise like you know there were um I, in the theater I saw it in, I just thought it, it looked a little dark to me. And my wife uh, and son, well, my son, he didn't care. He just thought it was awesome. <laughs> but me and my wife both thought it was a little bit dark in places, but that could have just been the theater we saw it in. Did you see but, um, 3D? No, no. I didn't either. It was, yeah, we only saw it in Ask TV. me how I saw it. Uh, but,
2: in some... Four million foot screen for the very first time projected on Virgin Pixels
0: with Chris Pine and Zachary and uh, Carl and uh, uh, the director and uh, a lot of free alcohol.
2: Cool. That's uh, that would be called
0: a premiere, right? That would be called the first public screening <laughs> of the film <laughs> for an audience that wasn't paid to be there. Was that in, in that Sydney? Sydney? It was actually as it happened, uh, wow, and uh, really a whole cool. lot of the crew turned up uh, and. Uh, uh including um i I believe uh John Shu, who was not meant to be there, but he just decided that everybody else was going he'd play solo he, <laughs> the, he would just turn up and so um we were surprised when he just uh suddenly appeared but it, it was very welcome but um yeah, there was tons of the uh cast there, and it was therefore one of the first times they publicly spoke about the loss of uh, anton as uh who mm. played Chekhov, yeah, and so it was quite raw when they were talking because um suitably they they discuss the subject because it's a lot of fun at a premiere and it's a, obviously a appalling tragedy when someone dies especially someone that young and for no you know sort of obvious uh, you, you know you couldn't sort of say well the guy had uh, gone out and got drunk and driven into a wall kind of thing he, he was just literally an accident and uh, it was quite moving actually to see uh, Chris Pine led that discussion um, They'd also lost uh, Lena Nimoy from the kind of collective family, but that wasn't as raw an emotion, sure. but uh, Zach spoke to that as well. So it was, it was pretty interesting. You, can, you know, often these things are a bit, um, I'm going to say, uh, packaged and there's no real meat uh, to any of these kind of things. It's kind of funny anecdotes and that's about it. And certainly Carl Urban came up with some pretty funny anecdotes, but, but there was also um, kind of a serious side to it, which was really interesting. Um, I'm sure you guys agree that uh, it was just uh, really bad luck. Um, uh, what happened to Anton? Oh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, t-
1: such oh, a freak, a freak yeah. accident. I mean, yeah. so and I thought it was uh, actually just you know, I mean, that's not like it's that big a deal, but it was it was touching. I thought at the end that they uh, mm-hmm. you know, they had their for Anton or whatever, and they you know had the a sort of little tribute to Nimoy as well. I thought that was you know just a, a nice thing to do.
0: Yeah, apparently that sequence in the film. Um, you know, was obviously sort of written in, and uh, and obviously hadn't been there um, initially, and I thought that played out well. It'll be interesting to see for, for of Spock's character, Spock mourning himself effectively. Um, yeah, but um, what what you get the impression from certainly we got it when we were uh, they were in Sydney is that um, Zach had actually formed quite a decent uh, personal relationship that went beyond just kind of like an on screen. Um, uh, duality of roles, and I know they've done commercials together. But I believe also that um, they had actually become uh, good friends, and it certainly felt that way. It's pretty, um,
2: pretty. Sure, I, but, w- I would want to be friends with Leonard Nimoy uh, if I had the opportunity. Why not? But I wonder. But how I would just all... talk to him about In Search of. <laughs> just talk to him about everything. <laughs> um,
0: about Mission Impossible, it'd be really fun, I reckon, to go up to someone like that who's so well known for one role, and just be like, "I cannot believe it's you from Mission Impossible."
2: <laughs> Actually I did that with uh I met Keith Gordon on an airplane who was you know the, he was the lead uh kid in Christine and Back to School and you know any number of uh sort of movies at that uh time and but at the uh the movie Mother Night his Kurt Vonnegut adaptation with Nick Nolte had just come out and I loved it and I walked up to him on the plane like mid flight and I was just like hey, I don't want to be kind of like a weirdo, but, and I could see in his face that he was expecting me to say like, weren't you in back to school? I said, did you direct Mother Night? And he was like, oh my God, you saw that? Like, you know, and we had like a 20 minute conversation about, you know, not movies he was in, but movies he made. And he was, I think he was fairly shocked at that.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it must be obviously the case that when you get a serious uh, opinion like that, it's, you know, you're sort of delivering in that question. I understand a bit about the industry, and I'm not asking you because it's like, you know, can I take a selfie and ignore, and ignore you? But you know, you understand uh, an aspect that that is worth talking about. Um, and I think, you know, for actors who direct, they they often really you know gravitate. To that. I mean, I would love to talk to Simon Peg about the writing of Star Trek oh, yeah. Beyond. Um, What do we think about this as a story? And speaking of Simon being uh, one of the sort of co-writers, did you think it was a a decent story? It's pretty hard going to come up with an original story in Star Trek. And I certainly like the ones that are time-traveling ones. This wasn't per se a time-traveling one, but I had some elements of that. But it it was um, what I'm going to call more of a traditional Star Trek story.
1: Yeah, I I liked it. I mean, I thought it was... uh you know, is it a great movie? Is it the best of the new Trek movies? Like, I don't think so. But I mean, it, it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was fun. It was a fun summer summer film. I enjoyed the, um, it, it felt more like, uh, you know, it still had the scope of a movie, but it kind of felt more like um, an episode of the TV show in a way, and that it, it, it had more interplay with, um, you know, sort of different character pairings, like, the characters that you know, you all kind of that we all sort of know and love from watching Star Trek. Um, you know, they sort of paired off in different groups. Then, like you had Kirk with Chekhov and uh, you know McCoy and um, Spock and stuff. And so you kind of had these sort of different groupings. And I thought that that was kind of fun. It le- it lent itself to um, you know I don't know just some different dynamics. I thought the new uh, the new girl uh, alien character. Uh, J-Law or whatever <laughs> I thought she was pretty cool and, I really liked that they didn't make her story. just a
0: warrior I, I loved that she connected with Scotty Yeah, know, yeah. That there was that kind of uh, primitiveness of not being able to speak the language fully and being quite literal with some of the interpretations of the English language but she wasn't a dummy and she wasn't um, just a, you know, a savage kind of or a ninja so her having an engineering background was a great twist I think yeah um, you yeah, know, I, I,
2: I I agree with Mar- uh, Matt and seemingly you, Mike, that this that it felt like uh, sort of a large television episode, which was uh, totally fine with me. Uh, I, I you know there is there was a there is a camp to the TV show that and the original Star Trek movies that is lost on the next generation and the subsequent movies to a certain extent that I think this one kind of touched, which is probably the Simon Pegg touch, I would assume, uh, sort of just brings a little bit, just a little bit of underlying, like, yeah, we know,
1: but we're having fun, so enjoy, and like, let's... Have a part, you know, a Star Trek part. Totally, yeah. The the camp and the self-awareness, I think, element was much more on display here in like you know, the the, the music comes on and uh Chris Pine says, Oh, you know, good choice or whatever when it's the Beastie yeah. Boys and and even the sort of nostalgia piece with the uh Zachary Quinto uh learning about the death of Spock, and then the the moment where he opens the photograph of the original. Mm crew and stuff and i i I kind of thought yeah those weren't i mean those are totally tips of the hat i think to you know the fan base it doesn't necessarily fit in the context of the movie per se but it it does in a way in terms of the the historicity of you know the franchise of the tv show and the animated series and all the movies and
2: well i thought um, from a story point it was sort of telling him hey guess what you're gonna stick around
1: well yeah I mean, and that like, it's a, and that it's a kind of about this family you know this yeah. weird sort of family in space or whatever yeah
0: the thing i liked about next generation was when they had the moments between the actors um and it's no accident i think that next generation finished with a poker game with all of the cast kind of there and um when they had explorations of the pinocchio for, of phenomena of data and or data and however you want to say it. And, um, and you know, those sort of interactions between the actual actors, those were things that I sort of took out as being really interesting in next gen. And so I kind of glad that the films aren't just action pieces because if they're just action pieces, then it's a different thing. It's like, I think the Bond films suffer when they're more action and lose any kind of dimension on Bond and it just becomes you know, set piece after set piece after set piece. I think it's a real risk with these big tent poles that you assume the audience just wants action and big special effects and big stuff. And actually like little moments between, as you say, like Spock and Bones, they're worth their weight in gold. And you kind of, you you really sort of savor them when they come along on screen.
2: Well, I mean, from like, I think the, from a writing perspective, there's really good subtle story points that tie up, like Spock giving Uhura the necklace and or knowing that she has it and then coming back to it later and being able to use it not only as a tracking device but to point to the fact that Spock is potentially, you know, stalking or, you know, <laughs> manipulating yes. her whatever she's doing is is really good storytelling.
1: Yes. I just have to say that I think uh, Mike, your accent is so awesome. There, it would be so cool if instead of Data, if his character was actually called Dada, and uh, it all it happened at the Cabaret Voltaire, and that would have been so cool. It would be so to totally different, totally different movie.
0: Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, there we go. Um. Anyway. Okay. So let's let's get into some of the visual effects. Um. Well, I gotta tell you something I really love about the Trek films is watching them every time they make the movie come up with a slight variation on what it's like to go into warp. I just like yeah. the warp trails, the yeah, warp yeah. jump, the warp mm-hmm. signature, the whole thing. It's like this, um, you know. It's like a constant that we've had, and and the early films did such great work with slit scanners, and it was jaw-dropping kind of visual effects back in the day. So there's been a really great precedent of, um, you know, we're doing really interesting work with visual effects in this one area and it's not as if the early stuff is completely useless and whatever. And then when you go to Next Generation on TV and they started introducing digital effects and they were doing that as a digital TV show, they again did some amazing stuff and the way it kind of snapped in, um, you know, remember it kind of stretched and snapped in mm-hmm, uh, yeah, Next yeah. gen. And so, uh, and then a couple of films ago, they did some really interesting things with these kind of trails that were not straight lines, but kind of felt almost like they were immediately um, gaining some turbulence and kind of breaking up, it was a nice touch. And here we got these side views of them kind of going along in a slipstream. Um, Matt, do you want to talk about that? I mean, I, is it just me? I'm just obsessed with chain with, with to Warp. <laughs>
1: No yeah I think it's really cool it's an interesting opportunity I think from a, you know a director's point of view from a visual effects point of view from a designer's point of view to get the chance to sort of and it and it, and I think it is really neat that they do that they sort of come back and they revisit what it what is this going to look like how are we going to sort of stylize the aesthetic here and I thought it was really neat that they they had that different perspective in this film totally noticed it right away. Like it does jump out at you. It's like, Oh, it, it looks kind of different than what we've, what we saw in the, the JJ Abrams Trek films with the things kind of almost looking like, um, like a tracer fire or yeah. like a, a missile launch or something. And this was a totally different look. And I thought it was really cool. It was, uh, it, it's always a neat opportunity. I think, uh, yeah, for, for all those things to sort of come together and coalesce to try to see what, what can we do to make this, um, look a little bit different there was even uh you know they sort of do that a a touch in uh in the force awakens too with the hyperspace you know following the ship and then coming out of uh hyperspace or whatever so i mean yeah it's a it's a neat visual effects opportunity and it's something that it's probably um in some ways maybe a little bit easier to explore um possibilities um with so many advances uh in the way that the effects are going to be generated instead of doing like the slit scan, you know, style effect. Well,
0: so, but but Jason, don't you think it's great that we as the audience just give them permission to reinvent this every time when there's actually no logical reason. And no one says on screen, well, we've changed the warp signatures, so it looks a bit different. You know? Like we just all agree, yeah, do something cool and new and we'll yeah. also go along with it. We don't care why. It's it's fun. What what do you yeah. got this what do you got this time?
2: No, I agree. I uh I like it I'm I usually I'm very particular about, you know, things like that. And I've, it's never bothered me. Like I, I, I want it to be as cool as possible every time. And if I was, and if they said, Hey, uh, we want you to direct the next Star Trek film. I'd be like, great. Let's start working on what the warp's going to look like, you know, on our (laughs) own. This is what mine's going to look like. You know, I liked, I liked in this one, how it looked like, kind of like dragging a lure through like fishing lure through water. Like it had Mm -hmm. kind of like a spin to it, like a, Helixy spin, but but I think what Matt said. I like when they cut inside the ship, and everyone's just like, "Oh, ho, hum, we're moving at like sub light speed, you know, <laughs> warping through God knows what," and we're just like, you know, let's have a drink, you know, and hang out and look out the window at our sub light speed whizzing by, you know. uh But it, I mean, it looks cool. It works.
0: <laughs> That's what we want. We want things looking cool. Okay, so. So I'm going to lead off a round of what we thought was really cool in this show and I'll go first just to give you guys a chance to think but also because I want to steal <laughs> steal the charge and what I thought was awesomely cool which was the uh, the space station and the way that it was just seemingly having its own relative gravity at, at, at every um, different angle. Now obviously you could go to various... Um, references to other films that folded space back on themselves. But this wasn't that, though I think that is coming in an, in a film yet to be released. But, um, but the idea that, you know, like part of a city is upside down and over there um, just makes for a really interesting visual. And I don't know that it made sense, but it made enough sense that I would go along with it. And then having the idea that the ships would come in underneath the kind of um, the areas where people were at, it's just it seems so hard these days to come up with something that's new and original. And yet the design of that uh, that space station, which I want to say was the Franklin, um, was just such a interesting visual uh, that double negative. No, Franklin incredible. was the
2: ship at the end. It was called it was the uh, Yorktown. Um, York, York, York York okay, yeah, Yorktown.
0: So I, I just think the Yorktown was a great piece of design. Um, I mean, you know, they really pushed it hard with this sort of center of the mass of the thing as the fight point. But leaving that aside for a second, the rest of it just seemed like a cracker of a... Original visual to give us something that we hadn't seen before, um, and inconceivably impossible to make, perhaps, but doesn't matter. It sort of still was a good construct that, uh, in a you know fairly well trodden kind of visual design space where people are allowed to come up with whatever they want, this one did seem um, original to me. Matt, did did it seem you know derivative to you, or was it uh, also fresh for you?
1: well it it did remind me a little bit of like the folding paris in inception a little yeah. bit and uh, sort of the that kind of idea of mirror worlds or whatever but i mean i i thought that the execution of the yorktown was was um was really well done i did like the the ships flying sort of in a tube underneath the city you know i thought that was you know pretty cool maybe not the most practical no scenario but like still pretty interesting and visually and um it actually, interestingly enough, that aspect of what you're talking about, Mike, where it was sort of the, you know, different gravities based on the fact that it, there's sort of, you know, these uh, this spherical station sort of pointed inward. It actually... Uh, Up until that point in the movie, when we sort of have that climactic scene at the end where Idris Elba and uh, Chris Pine sort of have their Mm -hmm. zero G fight, um, there were some things in the movie that were kind of bugging me, but it actually kind of came together in that sequence. And one of the things that I I had some trouble with throughout the film was in regards to the camera movement in terms of cinematography, Mm -hmm. like the sort of... um, The way in which the camera was moving in a totally free three dimensional way, which on some level is really cool because that sort of there is no up and down really in space. Um, And so, in some ways, it's kind of cool, but it it did make it visually confusing at times. Uh, For me, I couldn't quite tell where I was or what was happening geographically, kind of, and sort of ground myself in certain scenes in the movie. But then I actually, when we got to that scene in the Yorktown, with the sort of three cities uh, or, or however many there were sort of coming together at the center point and that sort of idea of gravity, it made all of that camera work that sort of drove me crazy. It made it all make sense. Like it sort of tied the whole thing together thematically, visually in a way for me. So I, I agree. I thought that was a really, um, it, it was a cool effect. It did feel new conceptually as an idea for a space station. And it actually, I think wound up working better. It made me want to go back and see it one more time just to see if, uh if it would sort of have more cohesiveness visually
0: jason have you seen the trailer for dr strange yeah because that's what i was alluding to
1: earlier yeah the that we kaleidoscopic see this, kind of city <laughs> this thing. coming even yeah
0: but we haven't seen that i didn't yet, i so. didn't
2: i didn't read it that way it felt to me more like the space station in uh um my brain just blanked on uh interstellar uh Oh, okay, the at the that, end. When he, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the end, when yep. he kind of looks and it's like the kid hits yep. the ball up into the winch window that's on 180 on the other side of the circle, the tube or whatever. It was like a mix between that and like Elysium kind of spinning disky thing. I, lo- I mean, I liked it. I, I I really liked the shots of like of using the ship entering the tube under the water mm. to follow the ship through the the visual of the ship through the city to show you the city and have a motivated reason for zooming through the Yorktown sort of area. Besides that, maybe engineering-wise, maybe the water cools the tube or something. I don't know. Who knows? My only... My only problem was at the end when the ship comes out and the Franklin comes out of the water and slams down, there's no shot of the massive tidal wave that would go in all directions (laughs) from dropping a building in the ocean. That was my, you know, from a scale perspective, the way Matt was saying that the sort of the 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 way the camera would would dutch over and kind of be a little confusing through the movie the thing that was confusing to me was that these ships are huge right i mean they're massive ships yet it seems like they can get from one end to the other really fast running uh and or run away from it like when the when the thing uh when they lift it off and push it the second time, the enterprise.
1: I actually think that's. I think that's an interesting point, though, because I actually think in this movie they did a couple shots, visual effect shots, that were really unique, where um, you actually saw. Yeah, scale. The in, yeah, you saw scale. You saw the interior space through the window, right? They would they built yeah. like a box, probably right inside there, and then you know lit the box and then move through the box so you see perspective inside that space. Unless they built actual geometry in some of the rooms, but it actually made for me. It made the ship seem. The Enterprise, and uh, I suppose probably the uh, Franklin too. Although I can't remember if we saw any interior windows on that one, but um, it made the Enterprise seem like a smaller ship in a way to me hmm. than it had seen before. It didn't seem as big. It seemed more like maybe on par with the size of uh, you know an aircraft carrier or something. As opposed, no, to it's got to be
2: bigger than that. I mean, it didn't look that air- big though. When you, oh when sorry, you, when aircraft you,
1: carrier. I was thinking.
2: Uh like a C-130 when you said that for some reason. But, oh, no, yeah, uh, bit, way yeah. bigger than that. Yeah, yeah. But like, <laughs> I know, that's but, why I was like, but not,
1: But not so huge that uh, yeah, just it flat. didn't feel as big as it did in the J.J. J. Abrams movies where they would right. show the engineering section and they would shoot in some big industrial space, you know? A brewery. Like, they shot yeah, in a exactly. brewery.
2: <laughs> but like at the end, when- when they When they have to push the Franklin off the cliff, and you're like, "Okay, the Franklin has to be now granted we're not on Earth, so there's no s- scale could be whatever we want, right The mountains could be you know like the waves in interstellar it could be you yeah. know thousands of miles high, you know uh, 20, 50, hundred thousand miles high. you just don't know right, but mm-hmm. they are breathing oxygen or what you know clearly on the planet they don't have helmets or anything. They drop a ship that has to be like huge." And it has enough time to go down a cliff and reach terminal velocity before they can pull up. I mean, it's, I know we're getting to like our Spider-Man <laughs> physics argument. My favorite but.
0: discussions. <laughs> um, I, no, I, I mean, I felt the same thing. I thought that the sh, there's a couple of things that I thought were just point blank stupid. Uh, I hadn't got to them yet, but that was one of them. Um, that whole, you know, like we're gonna... Because also the, the notion that you can fall like that I mean, I don't know about you, but it just seemed really convenient that there was an overhang enough that it didn't just scrape and scratch and break up like it would. You know, what I mean,
2: most- well, that was my that was my other point was I was going to make was there was too many things on the edge of a cliff gags in this mm-hmm. movie, like you know, Simon Pegg, he gets in his escape pod and lands on the planet, and a they all happen to land really close to each other on a giant planet from space. Potentially or near space, and when he jump, when he gets out, it's on the edge. Just happened to miss, and (laughs) that if to preemptively get to some of the shots I didn't like. When he jumps out of his pod and kind of gets in a visual effect way, pushed back and down, and has to grab on. It's just like okay, we've seen that a million times. Every movie does that. Let's not do that.
0: Well, not only that, but it just doesn't work because if something's traveling away at like, say, for argument's sake, four kilometers an hour and you push off that, even if you push really, really hard, you'd get to zero, right? Which would be to say you push the other way at four and the the two would cancel each other out. You'd have to be astronomically strong (laughs) in the legs to push enough to counter the fast movement of that thing going over the edge and to have some, if you like, negative velocity left over to reach back to grab the cliff face i mean it's just yeah that that didn't lie with hold your hold yeah, your and then entire holding body on weight. exactly <laughs> and and you know yeah and the other one that i just while we're on dumb things because it was just super dumb um is you know how easy it is to defeat a uh, swarm of killer intelligent alien um weapons by just confusing one of them and like I mean, whoever designed that is is right up there with the Death Star designer in you know really bad <laughs> risk um, management and uh, risk assessment on you know. Or oh, the droids got a weapon. in
2: the uh, in the first uh, Star yeah. Wars prequel. Cool.
0: Exactly. Drop that. <laughs> oh, they're all gone. And and it's one of those things that you get to this mega point and you need to wrap the story up really really quickly. So I mean, the worst case of this ever in sci-fi is Doctor Who. Like it's like whatever's going on, it seems completely, you know, whatever and you just do one thing and everything resets. Everything gets back to okay. It's like, I'm just gonna toss this sonic screwdriver into the stream and then everything will reverse and miraculously, everything will go back to normal and time will undo itself and we're all done. Good, great, end of episode, thanks. <laughs> and, and the only thing I can say is it feels to me like Monty Python who could never come up with an ending of a sketch. They always had a really good premise for a sketch. They could just never finish one. But in Monty Python's case, it was okay to have someone just walk in and say, this is stupid, um, you know, stop that, uh, move on. But in these shows, you, you just, I don't feel it works when you just have somebody go, we'll just play a bit of rock and roll into one of them and they'll all get confused yeah. and they'll all just die
2: yeah really that's what that they called it classical music though that was pretty that good. was good yeah
0: no, no, um, no, but that was funny, but it was just like such a ridiculously yeah. like we don't think the audience can cope with anything now we haven't we're not judging this film yet, but Jason Bourne has worse tech <laughs> it's about to come out <laughs> I've seen it, and it's like it's just laughably bad tech, but anyway um so like films across the board are you know subject to this, even good films, um but yeah, it's one of those. You know, pull a rabbit out of a hat at the last yeah. possible second, a- and the notion that you know anything that's been virtually encased in um, in rock formations for decades just needs a good um, jump start and she's away, yeah. and we're off. You know, yeah, all, well, that was know.
2: the Jurassic World. Just to get the get the, the you know twenty five year old Jeep running. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but um, but on the conversely, one of the things I really did love was the idea of the. Particle ship, basically, like the yeah, yeah. the it can be. It's an organic thing. Right? Oh, as a as a I mean, weapon,
0: it was great. Yeah, it was like when it was attacking. Yeah. It's like how do you fight that? Like I could yeah, no, shoot a bunch of amazing. things into it, and
2: you know, I mean, it was like great, a, and it yeah. had like, and it made sense. Cut this off, zappity zap, and they you know they become a razor. They become knives, and when they went in, they folded out. You know, basically sealing off the hole, and then you know, you drop down and you're inside the ship. Like all of those design and engineering choices, mm. brilliant, awesome.
0: Yeah. So now we yeah, mentioned thought, that D-Neg, I was, sorry, I was going to put in an insert and just say, D-Neg was doing the outside stuff we talked about. If we're moving into the ship and that attack sequence, once we get in the ship, that's atomic fiction. Sorry, go on, Matt.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say with regards to that, the swarming sort of weapon ship uh, idea, I, I mean that w- if we were picking our sort of favorite stuff, like I mean that's probably right up there, along with uh, the crash of the uh, the saucer, the Enterprise saucer. Oh, yeah, I always, always love that. And it's also kind of harkens back to when they crashed the saucer for the first uh, uh, next generation movie. I was at ILM when they did the physical crash of that. That uh, John Knoll uh, set up and directed that sequence, I believe. And uh, w- so it was kind of cool to sort of see a. a and redo of that um, kind of style of crash anyway, trying to go for a scale and stuff. But uh, but I thought that the particle effect was so cool. It reminded me a lot of um, on Matrix 3, I think, Revelations. Yeah, when they, when they, when they, they had the Deus in, yep. Ex Machina thing or whatever. And um, the way that the um, they would sort of move both in groups, but also they would split out and separate and uh, come back together. And so there was some you know, sense of a hive mind, but also a sense of some um, sort of tendril individuality that would occur within the way in which they would um, sort of ambulate in their attack or whatever. And it, it made me think uh, when you were describing how it was the dumbest way to defeat it, it actually makes me think though, that like, you know, when you're doing an, a particle simulation like that, you know, like one one misplaced uh, variable or parenth- parenthetical or something, and you're gonna get the same results, you know, so it's... <laughs> You could easily uh, throw things off track really quickly.
2: Yes,
0: yes. I mean, (laughs) I thought the whole nebula and, the you know, like the going in um, was terribly rewarding visually. And, you know, whatever I might think about this or that, I was totally there. It's just coming out, I was like, wait a second. A, I had only just recovered from how this ship is suddenly working really well, um, being hot wide, having stuck in, you know, stone and, and that whole shoot down and shoot up which is a good visual don't get me wrong good visual just not I'm not there mentally and then I was like wow you defeated that swarm really easily that was a big design error maybe somebody should have thought about that <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think if you can come up with a more insightful kind of way of defeating something that you've laid the groundwork for more um, earlier on you know like that it's a fault because somebody was arrogant and did something in a certain way, then I'd buy the payoff. But this one just felt like that was just badly designed. And why was it badly designed? You know, it was just was. It was like, hey, we've got a way to defeat this. So I I just, I love it when an audience is treated with some real um, respect in terms of how you can come up with a fairly clever and elaborate plot thing. Of which, you know, there were other things in the film that, you know, gave me the hope that that was what was gonna happen, but... I think yeah. it was
1: like they were going for something different though, in a weird way in this movie. Like I agree with you, like I think you know there there certainly were opportunities for you know, some more uh, it felt like the stakes were were kind of low in this one, right? Like, you know, what's the worst thing that's gonna happen? like that cool space station, I guess, would be destroyed and like Sulu's family would die or whatever, you know, like and it was it would be a bummer, like, and I guess that's you know, a drag. but it didn't feel like um, you know, as high stakes as the first two films and sort of this reboot um, it felt like it was more they were going for more of like a character you know narrative where it was about these characters and it, and did it just feel, sort of a, uh, and an action uh, movie it did i took my 10-year-old and
2: when they show yorktown for the first time then they're sort sort of establishing shots i turned to my kid and i said this looks like kind of where they shot before i could finish it he goes yeah guardians of the galaxy yeah 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 (laughs) like it looks like the same like whatever sort of walkways and sort of futuristic whatever physical location that they went and shot people walking around to comp in or whatever uh not a knock just an observation that stuff jumps out at me sometimes but uh
1: and maybe it wasn't it just had that similar kind of or like the alien that weird like uh, other dimensional city and uh midnight special too you know uh, i haven't seen that yet come on oh Jeez, <laughs> hey, <man. laughs> um i was doing a piece for wide
0: magazine on this film and one of the things i wanted to flag because i liked it a lot was gladys tongs work on um the screens and the monitors in particular oh, yeah. when they're scanning the alien woman and when uh what's his name is scanning um kirk's communication so just some really sophisticated on-screen visuals and Gladys Tong runs G Creative and it's almost impossible to find an interview with Gladys or anything about the company and yet if you look at their run of what they've worked on, it's like every film you've ever wanted to work on and have on your CV. Um, They do the on-screen monitors and playbacks as well as just sort of design and graphics. And um, and I just feel like um, Band from the Ranch got a bit of attention back in the day because they did this Mm -hmm. kind of work really well but i like to mention this class of visual effects artists every once in a while because I really feel like they're unsung heroes. And if anyone's ever sat down with a blank piece of paper and say design something that indicates you're monitoring in an alien language something that does this that the audience is going to get but we can't spell it out and it has to make sense but look uber cool, it's a really hard task and it always kind of looks, when, I, <laughs> when I've tried doing it, looks, looks on paper way easier than when you try actually touching the totally. paper. Totally and yeah. drawing I mean, it out. It looks
2: like it looks like having a giant like decibel meter that says terminal velocity at the end of it. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, it can't all be winners, right? But no, uh, no. But I mean, there was there was great the 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 way the reason I agree with you is because I don't remember half of them, and that's because they were just there and did their job to to blend into the scene as as info, you know. T- Star Trekian infographics, right? And because there's no, because there's no like, and maybe there is because I'm not like Super Trek nerd, but there doesn't seem to be to me to be like a real visual language to the monitors the way there is from like Star Wars, right?
0: Exactly. You don't get a free pass in it. It just needs to look like these ones because that's what we're kind of used to.
2: So, which is Um, good because I think you can do whatever you want and you're not going to, the audience is not going to be distracted by saying, "Oh, look, there's uh, a little bit of how it looks to target an X-wing or whatever." Like, yeah, it-
0: no, I totally agree. And I've got to say, if you actually look at the, um, if you actually were to look at the uh, bridge of the Enterprise, like even in the trailer, if you, there's a couple of shots, and just stop it, you'd realize that most of the screen, sorry, most of the surfaces in front of them are covered with screens. Like yeah. there is just a ton of screens. And they aren't green screen on the day, they're they're moving stuff. They've got like hundreds of monitors being controlled by computers and it must make a heck of a difference to an actor to not be walking onto a bunch of green... Well they project
2: that stuff for them to see? I mean, it's It's, like... uh, It's it's actually like,
0: it's flat screen uh, LED type stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Now, here's the funny thing. That's the way to do it. Oh, yeah, totally. But quite often they then replace them because for whatever reason they want to go to a different level or it's just an earlier one. So it's not all in camera. Though having said that, most of the time, most of the monitors um, are hot. So you'll see, like I've been obviously looking at before and afters and stuff, and you'll see like Simon Pegg run up to something in engineering and it's not particularly clear what's there, but there's clearly something there. And this is like the green screen rushes, right? And, um, and it moves and it's all good and he can look at it and press a button and then later they'll come and clarify it to be sort of a, an easier uh, picture of the enterprise. So it's accurately reflecting affecting exactly where they are at that bit in um, the destruction sequence. But uh, yeah, huge amount of work. Um.
1: so I, I'm just looking this up while we're talking about this because it's so interesting <laughs> to me in a way, because I know that there is a, a language, a design language that the Trek universe <laughs> follows. Is there for yeah. this stuff? Yeah, there's a thing that's called it's called L C A R S. It's the library computer access and retrieval system, which is a faux like AI design sort of um protocol that was developed for the show for all of for the tv show right the next generation tv show and they say that in the uh by the let's see in the alternate reality in the 2250s uh it was replaced in the j.j abrams movies with a thing called pcap as a design language for all of the um the enterprise and sort of federation based um technology displays. So I'd be interesting to see if they ever put out like a, you know, a design book on some of that stuff. Cause it'd be cool to see what the 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 people use as their design bible as they kind of explore different um
0: see the thing uh, is technologies on, for that. On next generation, they had a genius move to do that as backlit um graphics. Mm-hmm. So you would see a panel and they were very consistent in next gen. They're consistent to themselves, but they're not right. in the same way that the Enterprise trails. Like inside Star Trek Next Generation, they didn't change the the warp signature look, right? Because it was the signature for how they went to warp drive. But but I think you'll find, or I think what you're saying is that they do sort of change them between Genres, or what do you want to call it, really? Um, you know, series, yeah, but
1: yeah, yeah, they, I think they're all different, at least from what I'm seeing yeah. here. And just, I mean, but it's interesting to think that, you know, that is that's definitely somebody's, yeah, I mean, this, what's the company again, the name of the company? Uh,
0: so it's G Creative, um, it's Gladys Tong, who's the principal uh, designer. And okay. I, it, it took me a fair amount of hunting down to get, um, to get and I did get a, an interview with uh, Gladys and really glad to have it, but only because I just think like it's, they don't even seek any publicity. Um, yet, honestly, if you looked at uh, their website, um, it's just a massive number of credits of everything that you would, hang on, I'm just gonna pull it up as we're speaking. Cause it's like, I was like, They're how like how the art
2: gallery that has no pr- prices. Like you're not walking in there unless you know exactly what you're getting.
0: Yeah, so it's, uh, it's g-creative.com. So just to give an idea of a company, you may never have heard of. Um, Batman versus Superman, Tomorrowland, um, Robocop, uh, Godzilla, Chappie, um, Elysium, wow. Total Recall. You know, the list just goes on and on and on. And and there's straight stuff as well. I mean, obviously there's the Mission Impossible Ghost protocol-y kind of sci-fi stuff. But there's, you know, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps or there's, you know, more sort of traditional...
2: Like Cabin um, in the Woods.
0: Yeah, so it's like... Um, and you know, and they've got an example on their site of like Rise of Planet of the Apes. Sony pulls up a monitor that shows something, right? And I can't even remember what it was that they pulled up but it just looks like a user interface and it has stuff on it that's colorful and people look at it and nod and we all nod with them because it seems like it makes sense. Um,
1: That's really cool. I mean, I think it is really important to sort of, uh, you know, make note of uh, that that type of work because it is so important, but you don't really think about it in the same way. I don't know if you guys have seen these. It made me think of uh, over the last. Uh, there's a guy who runs a website that's gonna kill me. Maybe I can find it and we can put it in the the notes or something. But uh, or if you guys don't know what it is, but he he's done all these typography of sci-fi sci-fi typography and user interface like um, explorations. Like he went back and looked at uh, Ridley Scott's Alien. And he took all the typography out oh, yeah. of Alien. He took everything out of Blade Runner, and and uh, you know it made a whole um, kind of website uh, dedicated I, you're to. You're
0: talking about types type in the future, I think. Yeah, it is. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Type set in the future, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Which I mean is is different in a way. I mean, it's it's sort of talking more about you know typography and fonts and that sort of exploration. But but it's similar in terms of that overall exploration of design of UI or UX, you know, in terms of how you think of an interface on a screen or something. So I think it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a cool art form too. It, and it's, it's a part of visual effects, but it's sort of separate too because it has a whole nother design language.
0: Yeah. And look, I've got to say, I mean, at FX Guide, uh, John Montgomery does our visual design stuff. And it's because every time I have a go, his is better. And and it's it's you know demonstrably better, like it's there's no question about it I'm not being modest. he's just really much better at it with the typography, with the but you've got to really not only just care about it, but be kind of immersed in a in the language and uh it's it is, I honestly think equivalent to learning a foreign language insofar far as somebody goes, "Oh yeah, well, he just knows how to speak Russian," and you go really that's that's kind of nothing to you. Why don't you try learning Russian? Because I think you'll find it takes you well. You know what I mean. But it's easy just to say, oh yeah, yeah. They speak three languages. Now I'm sure somebody speaks twelve languages. Everyone's impressed. But you know, if somebody walked into the room and said, I speak fluent Russian, it wouldn't be like a press release level event. But by the same token, I'm not going to be able to do that myself, no matter how hard I try. And I have respect for anyone that can master it and uh, and do it.
1: Well, it's like the that idea of like really great typography and great design. You know, the hope is that you almost don't notice it, but it, I think most people will almost immediately notice really bad design and typography in that regard. You know, like it it's it often will jump out of you as being really like either hard to read or really you know sort of garish or or um, offensive yeah. somehow. You know,
0: yeah. Yeah, and of course there are some things. Yeah, I mean that that's
1: what
2: I was saying before that it just doesn't. Uh, it did. I I don't remember them specifically, which I which I take to be, uh, mean that
1: the work was really well done. Yeah, I would totally agree for sure.
0: Yeah, here's something really funny though. When you get in Star Wars, you know the um, original Star Wars, like Episode Four, original one, mm-hmm. uh, when they're shooting down, um, and you've got that user interface. It reappeared in the last last film for. Yeah. Um, the Millennium Falcon. And it's just so funny because at the time, that was like, you know, the best anyone could do. And they were like, clearly, like, well, we're going to have to do the same thing in the new one. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and we're just going to pretend like they deliberately made it look bad because there's no way to get around the fact if we change it, everyone's going to be like, you changed it. And if we don't change it, it's going to look like something from uh, an arcade game when we were kids. Yeah. Right, right. And, and that was yeah. just one of those hysterical kind of, well, there you go.
1: Oh, they have
2: X Y displays in uh, in in the past. It is the past, after all. Ooh, it's true, nice! It is a nice long, yeah, it is a long, long, long time, time ago. ago. Yeah. Okay, I
0: will pay you that one. That's yeah. All right, <laughs> nice one, sir. Um, okay, so in terms of visual effects, um, uh, were there any other sequences that you guys wanted to hammer on?
2: Um, I liked the ending uh, time lapse uh, CG time lapse of the.
0: Ooh, new enterprise yeah, being call.
2: built oh, although yeah. really although to cool. that point the crew of the enterprise is like they're like dirty hairy right like they always get the job done but they cause a fucking destruction in their wake <laughs> in their wake how many yeah. enterprises have they destroyed like there's gonna be some like,
0: guy in the lab going,
2: going all right kirk you can have another ship but yeah try and
0: bring this one back without scratching yeah
2: <laughs> but wouldn't it take like six months to build a ship i mean obviously it's a time lapse right but i'm just saying oh, like the, rest, the things yeah. are like you know these things are massive right and yeah. how many how many people fit on them i'm sure we can find it on our website somewhere how many people are on the enterprise you know hundred thousand people you know it's got to no, be it's not that many, but yeah
0: i actually i had had a book like that actually signed by one of the um the designers and uh that is all kind of worked out frighteningly no
2: i'm sure it's got to be
0: but, but my point is, where do you get all the materials from? Like you're building these things in space, right? <laughs> um, you must be spending a lot of energy beaming stuff up to the spa station to constantly yeah. then be...
1: Like Making it's, starships. Though there's only Though, somebody, if somebody's 1, listening to this... 1,014 people aboard the Enterprise. How many? 1,014. Really? Not 1,701.
0: Nope. Nope. <laughs> um, though i should i should back up now and say i'm wrong aren't i because in the first film we saw they were made down on earth when he comes up in his motorcycle on the enterprise oh, yeah. There, oh right just, yeah, yeah. So some so of them are made crazy. down on the planet
2: yeah
1: yeah yeah that weird dry dock shot on the ground with people welding and stuff
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah <laughs>
2: obviously they've gotten much better at it in the time between they made the last one and the next uh ship
0: Oh, somebody said wouldn't it just be easier to start up there which i don't think it could be <laughs> but there you go
2: um But it was a great sequence to like, you know. I love, I love taking you know, um, uh, techniques that are unique to actual photographic um, styles and applying them to CG.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, it was reminiscent of. uh,
2: Was it in Noah when they did that other time lapse? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I I mean,
1: I I love that stuff. It's so great.
2: I mean, the shots that we did for the Big Short. The time lapses of New York are all also the buildings being built. Obviously, we didn't shoot that. Uh, Mm -hmm. We shot buildings that were already there and they CG'd really good buildings being built in over time lapse.
0: Yeah. and, And that was great. And I agree with you. That sequence in this film was also great. I really appreciated that. I thought it was really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of those little gifts at the end. Like sometimes you get a really good end title sequence, as in end graphics sequence, that's yeah. a real gift. You tend to get them in Marvel things. Um, and yeah. that was another one of those gifts. It was like, well, you don't have to do this.
1: We're just going to do it.
2: Actually, you know, one, one, one that we didn't do a show on that was re- had a beautiful end graphics or, or visual sequence was The Shallows. The movie was okay, but the end section with the way that they shot water washing no, hang the beach. a second it hasn't even
0: opened here in Australia yet. So. Oh
2: okay. Well you can go see it. It's entertaining. It yeah it's entertaining. It's not terrible. It's entertaining. <laughs> Cinematography is beautiful. Fate and they praise. do some really interesting they do some really interesting stuff with like phone interfaces of how to show someone on the phone without shooting over their shoulder showing a phone screen. Okay. Uh, and the shark's good and you know whatever it, it's entertaining. But the, there's some cinematography at the very beginning and, and during the final credit sequence that is really beautiful.
0: Good to know. Good to know. Um, well, I'm just going to shout out um, the stuff that uh, uh, Image Engine did inside, insofar as that uh, inside of the Enterprise was a, on a huge, there were two of them, huge, vast gimbals. And so, you know, you kind of. Oh, yeah. I mean really big, like like multi story gimbals that could have people on a couple of different levels and then um and then uh, so then engineering stuff is going haywire. People really can uh, hoop around. And I man, I would just love one day to I mean, they don't move that fast. Um, but but the physics of how to cope with the inertia and the safety concerns they must have. Obviously there's rig removal and people on safety wires and stuff and no one wants an actor to get hurt, but man, that's a lot of inertia moving around those things. Oh yeah. Really, really cool work. <clears throat> and also the fact that all the um the attacking aliens <laughs> got removed in post and replaced uh with CG ones. Um, which I thought was uh interesting, but uh totally made sense. Um <clears throat> okay, well I think that uh, we're we'll agreed that uh the franchise is in pretty good state. We certainly haven't had a um uh was it Trek which was the one they tried to find God? Trek 5, was it? It was like really bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Final, that was final Frontier,
1: <clears throat> I think it was.
0: Oh, dear. Yeah. No, no. Really. With Spock's uh, brother. <laughs> was that? I, I have really purged that. It's one of the few films I've never seen more than once. I mean, in brother Spock's brother,
1: spork. But... Spork? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, good Lord. Okay. Um well, with that uh, that note and uh, a good thumbs up, I think, from the crew this week on the visual effects work um, and uh, and even on the film itself. Um, guys, where can people uh, track you down? Uh, Matt, where's uh, a good place to connect?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter at Matt Wallen or uh, at my website, mattwallen.com.
0: And uh, Jason?
1: Same Twitter, Jason Diamond or
2: uh, the diamondburrows.com
0: and we're also the VFX show on uh, Twitter and I'm, of course, Mike Seymour on Twitter. Hey, um, guys, we're trying to work out films today. We, we had a bit of a scheduling thing mainly because I was like flat out with uh, Sidgraph and traveling. Um, there are some films coming up, uh, Suicide Squad and other things. If you've got opinions on what you'd like us to be talking about, um, hit us on Twitter and just let us know. Uh, we're always keen to hear from you. And uh, for those people that did come up and say hi at uh, Sidgraf in particular, really appreciated that. Um, I hope I uh, had time to, it was a couple of people sort of said hi to me and I wasn't quite sure if I knew them or not. Um, they seemed so <laughs> confident that they knew me that I figured I must know them but they'd only heard on the show. But I take that as a, as a compliment. But yeah, um, always great when we uh, have people connecting with us. So online or in person, please uh, please always say hi. But yeah, if you've got opinions on what you'd like to hear us talk about, there's some discussion um, when we get out of this uh, sort of main batch of summer movies, which, you know, still has a little way to go, uh, which TV shows we're going to hit. And I certainly have some interest in the Emmys and some of the shows that have been, uh, been nominated. So we might move to some TV shows, but just let us know Stranger your thoughts. Stranger
1: Things. Stranger Things, yes. Yeah, no, i I got to get, get access. <laughs> hey, can, I, can before we go, can I ask you one quick question, Mike? Yeah, of course. What was your high gra- highlight uh, at Seagraph? Did you have one in particular? Something that really stood out? That Can you narrow really- the beam?
0: Are we talking about event or uh, te- paper? Technical,
1: or- technical papers.
0: Okay, technical papers. Um, well, uh, I have two answers. Okay, the selfish answer and the real answer. The selfish answer mm. was I really liked the, um, the quick version of producing photorealistic eyes that was on Wednesday afternoon. Mm, because I didn't see that because one of my eyes was, on, was used <laughs> in the paper and the guys at, uh, at uh, Disney Zurich uh, uh, did that. So that was like a cracker. I mean, um, mine's a bit of obvious because I tend to highlight things on FX Guide. So I was obviously terribly impressed with the work that came out of Max Planck Institute uh, on their facial reconstruction from mono video. And there's another mm-hmm. paper from um, the Disney Zurich guys that's on a sort of a higher level than that. I also really enjoyed some of the stuff on uh, Digipro, Um, which I presume you weren't out, otherwise I would have seen you, right?
1: Yeah, no, I wasn't there.
0: We had extensive coverage on uh, Digipro on FX Guide and I really like that because um, uh, the papers are kind of production orientated as well. It's not just, you know, down to... um, And so in that respect, if I'm going away from just like straight technical papers, the winner is Jason Smith's uh, ILM keynote address at uh, Digipro. He gave a... Just a really good public speaking talk before the fact that it was just phenomenally interesting. Do you know what I mean? Like he mm-hmm. he he moved between like he'd start discussing something that seemed completely um, on topic about visual effects. And then he'd go, hold that thought. And then he'd start discussing something you had like, where the hell is he going with this? And they completely link up. And then he'd go back to like something on a film or Warcraft and then he'd be, and I got, uh, um, you know, this opinion from, um, you know, somebody at ILM and blah, 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 hold that thought. And then he would jump to this thing and you're thinking, what on earth? This is like, like Rubik's cubes, right? And you're like, huh? And then it would completely tie in. It was, it was just a masterful presentation of... Um, of uh, of a speech and super interesting. Like his, you know, hit up Dennis Murin and a bunch of people to get perspectives on stuff that uh, had done and why they did it. And um, so that was really good. And it dovetailed particularly well with the ILM Faces Pipeline talk at SidGraph, which was in mm-hmm. the main body of the conference. Did you get to that one again? I didn't I see. did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I but did. I was in that one.
0: Okay. Cause I was in the front row of that one. Yeah, so, I, was,
1: I think I was off to the. I was like in the right sort of. In
0: the, okay, I didn't. I didn't see you, but, um, <laughs> and I apologize. But it was like I was determined to get into that session, and it was way. Do you remember? It was like like hundreds of people being turned away from that session.
1: Yeah, I got in. I got in line really early because I assumed that one would be popular.
0: Um, but had I seen you, I'd have sat with you. Um, <laughs> but there was a part in that presentation that um, I thought was really really good. Uh, the ILM presentation that uh, I was sitting with someone from another major effects house who is senior and central to their faces pipeline. And at one point I turned to him and I said, hang on, I didn't get what that bit was about because that bit and then that with it at this. And he was like, oh, I don't get that either. And I was like, okay, if neither of us get it, then it must be like, really? <laughs>
1: <Totally> <laughs> I'm not feeling so
0: bad, you know what I mean? And I was like, wow. So yeah, I could talk for hours about that face pipeline talk because that was a great Yeah, oh, that's cool. What about you?
1: Uh, I mean, I think probably the. I mean, there were a couple of things in particular. I, I can't remember the name of what they called their uh, tool, but there were some guys who demoed a tool set that would allow you to take um, artist rendered drawings and the style that the drawing was done in, and generate um, uh, algorithmically generate textures on three D models. That was that was pretty pretty amazing, um, and so so you'd get these three D renders that looked like. You know, hand drawn, uh, it looked like something that an artist drew by hand with traditional right. materials. So that was pretty interesting. I think my students really like that one. And then um, I went to this really one, there was so much VR stuff and AR um, at the conference this year. I guess that's been the case the last couple of years, although I hadn't been for the last two years, I think. But um, uh, Google was there and they did a demo yeah. of their project Tango. Mm. Uh, that I went to and i i got to that one early and got a seat and it was standing room only it was in a smaller room and and uh it seems like the that sort of small tablet based device and software solution with an array of sensors on the front is only gonna accelerate in the next couple of years. i feel like the visual effects um onset acquisition um of onset geometry of distances, measurements. I mean, that kind of acquisition is gonna really revolutionize the way that, uh, that onset supervision takes place in some pretty I exciting totally ways. Yeah. And that was really cool. And did you then, get to real-time live? I did, I went to real-time live. Because I showed was, that there as
0: well. That's what I was asking. Yep,
1: yep. Yeah, that was great. And Kim Libraris group won the, <laughs> the competition. That was fun. Um, but I thought to and, and the- And we have uh, a story
0: coming up about that, by the way.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh yeah, I worked with Kim at uh, ESC. He's always Great he's guy. always a fun fun guy for sure. And um the but my favorite um sort of production session that I went to of all the sort of I mean I shouldn't say my favorite because uh, I saw the Jungle Book one which was totally amazing. Uh mm. Rob Legato speaking uh in particular at the outset about sort of the history of effects and cinema and how they sort of work to encapsulate uh, a lot of um sort of the history of Disney animation and the opening shot of Jungle Book. I mean, that that stuff was so good. It was really, really uh, great. I wish that was something that, um, you know, would be on the, the DVD for the film or something, you know, as an extra, because it's just it was such a, a really amazing talk um, about everything they did on that. But then I went to a smaller session that was with the sponsored by the Chaos Group in their V-Ray yep. uh, sub. Subsection booth and um, a guy I used to work with, an awesome former compositor, now like a lighting look dev supervisor um, on Black Sales. And so it was a V Ray uh, utilized to do all this work on the FX series. I think it's FX, right? Black Sales, the pirate show. And uh, Matt Dugan uh, gave the talk and he gave such a great talk. It was Demoed tons of shots, tons of breakdowns. Talked about everything they did in terms of generating, you know, these oceans, these huge sort of pirate ships, the sa- the look of the sails, a lot of digital doubles, um, really complex work in terms of uh, storms and stuff like that. And he really broke it down uh, for the audience that was in the the room in a way that was he was funny and personable, but like you know he didn't dumb it down either. It was really as technical and. Um, I don't know. It was a, it was a great talk. It was really entertaining. Maybe part of it was I was biased because he's an old coworker yeah. of mine. I but think
0: I think Eric really Henry's the senior VisualFlex supervisor on that show, and I think it's on the Stars channel, Black Sales. Not. Oh, that's right. Stars. Stars original. Effects. You're right. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, no. It's, but that was it's really good a, too. I don't know.
1: It was it was a really fun conference. It was. It was a. It, there was so much great stuff there this year. It was. It felt a little smaller than previous years. Like Autodesk didn't have a big booth and. Uh, Although they had some new products they announced, but uh, and well, it was the off Pixel, year, right? This, like a separate event.
0: Yeah, but but theoretically, this was the off year. Like you know, like next year is back in LA. The off year is meant to be the smaller one. So right. you know, if it was in Boston or yeah. Dallas or, um, but yeah, I I think the other thing that people had a theory of why it was a little small is that VRLA was on not long after, and if you're interested in sort of new stuff that that was going to be a really big event and some people have picked that one over um, over Sidgrave. I actually didn't find it that small and as always found it, well, as we can tell by the fact that you and I were both there and we didn't get to hang together, that there was just a thousand things on, especially on yeah, it the Tuesday night. <laughs> I mean, there were so many parties on the Tuesday night and I felt really bad not going to a bunch, but I ended up at the Disney mixer, the um, you know, with Pixar, Disney and ILM and I just never left. It was just so good, um, but I missed I missed <laughs> one cool. because we were at real time live, and I hung around after that, and you know everything just got wiped out that night, and, um, and so apologies to all the people that invited me to other parties who I would have liked to have gone to, but why they all had to be on Tuesday night, I, don't, I don't know, but um, yeah, during the day yeah. same thing, you're just yeah, picking yeah. your battles. Um, okay, guys, we have to go, but it's been great talking to you, um, Jason. Are you still there?
2: Yep
0: okay cool thanks man <laughs> sorry to exclude you then from that
2: conversation but um, yes oh it's alright it uh, was uh, interesting to hear what I missed
0: okay well thank you so much for being on the show uh, Matt again thank you and uh, thank you guys for listening we really do appreciate it again don't forget to let us know what you'd like us to look at and whether you'd like us to hit on some things like Black Sales or Game of Thrones or that weird show that everyone keeps talking about that I don't get um, <laughs> until next time I'm Mike Single. see you guys If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com.
2: Copyright FX Guide, LLC.